WAER Sports proudly presents the Ostrom Avenue Podcast. And Syracuse has knocked off NC State 24-9. The students rush the field. The Orange are bowl eligible in 6-0 for just the third time in the last 87 years. Syracuse stops out the Spiders. It took overtime to do so, but the Orange claim the first semifinal of the Empire Classic 74 to 71. Breaking down the orange every week. Syracuse's defense dropped by 20 spots on Ken Palm last night. So that was really embarrassing. I think Malik Brown should be getting more minutes. He shows the energy. I think he brought energy when he came to the floor. And talking with the industry's experts. We're joined by a very special guest and a friend of the podcast, Brent Axe. We now have the pleasure of being joined by David Thompson from the USA Today Network. We're joined by a very special guest. It's former SU men's lacrosse star and current ESPN analyst, Paul Carcaterra. It's the Ostrom Avenue podcast from WAER. Welcome back to the Ostrom Avenue podcast brought to you as always by our listeners and Empire Hearing and Audiology. And if you are thinking, who is speaking right now? Yes, no. Ethan Frank is no, not here this week. He'll be out also next week. This week he's covering the Super Bowl, which is, is very fun for him. I'm Jordan Leonard alongside Hudson Ridley and Hudson. I mean, Ethan's living it up there in Viva Las Vegas right now. Yeah, he's asking NFL players the last time they went to Vegas. He's walking around finding mascots. He's doing everything at media day. Meanwhile, we're back here watching a miserable Syracuse men's basketball team. So, you know, there is a there is a there's a big drop off in terms of the fun he's having versus the fun we're having here. Well, you just mentioned it. Syracuse lost to Wake Forest over the weekend, 99 to 70. And, you know, if something he's going to miss out on is talking about the big news that dropped yesterday in the morning. Benny Williams has been officially dismissed from the Syracuse men's basketball team. A little bit of an ominous tweet there from Syracuse men's basketball at the end of the morning, um, just saying that Benny Williams was dismissed and the entire team wishes him the best in whatever he does next. Hudson, I just want to get your your first thoughts. I mean, just groundbreaking stuff at like 1120 in the morning yesterday. Yeah, you know, it, it was it was a little surprising in terms of the timing of it. But if you thought Benny Williams was going to be on the team next year, you're kind of crazy. So the fact that it happened doesn't surprise me. The fact that it happened now is is a little surprising. But then when you go back and look through the possible causes of what could happen, a lot of people are speculating. And obviously, we have no idea. But a, a large speculation on social media is that after Benny Williams got the, the technical for throwing the ball in the crowd against Wake Forest, and he went to go take a seat on the bench, he went past Adrian Autry, and he bumped shoulders with him. Um, and it's just, you know, something you, you really can't do. And it showed a, a little bit of a lack of maturity out of him. So it really, you know, it's not shocking that when you go back and look at it, this happened. But in terms of the timing, that was that was a pretty big blindside there, Jordan. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I'm just trying to bring up Benny Williams stats on Qs.com and he's already off the roster. Can't even. Yeah. Oh, no, stats. he's gone. He, <laughs> um, he was gone. I checked his I tried to go check his stats 15 minutes after they posted it. Gone. He was oh, completely wiped from the page. You can't find him anywhere. <laughs> and to be clear, we are recording this Wednesday morning around 11 a.m. So hopefully we'll find out some more information from Coach Adrian Autry after the Louisville game on Wednesday night. And yeah, I mean, Benny Williams. You know, comes in as one of the her most heralded prospects in, you know, semi-recent history for Syracuse, was the only prospect in his class. And, you know, he didn't play that much as a freshman, got a lot of starts last year, but he never was consistent enough. You, you look at the end of last year into the ECC tournament and even that last game against Wake Forest, he showed that he can score offensively and he's athletic enough and long and he was 6'9 forward who can stay with guys on the defensive end for the most part. It was just kind of trying to put it all together and he never really got to put it all together at Syracuse. He never blended fully with the rosters that were constructed in each of the three years that he was here. I think it goes back to what we've been talking about a lot this year, too, at different points in the season revolving around different things with Benny Williams. But it all goes back to the same thing of it's a mental thing. Like we talked about at the beginning of the season when Benny Williams, you know, couldn't stay on the team. We're like, okay, well, you're not staying on the team, but couldn't, you know, stay in yeah. the lineup and he wasn't getting put on the floor. Okay, well, that's a mental thing. Then he gets put on the floor, he gets taken out, he's totally disinterested from the team at the end of the bench. Okay, well, that's a mental thing. He, he's having a tough time on the court, 
hitting shots and rebounding and he doesn't look like he's contributing a lot, but you know he has it. That's a mental thing. It really all combines together to show you that Benny Williams has the talent. I mean, he didn't get a four-star for no reason. He's got an NBA, he's got NBA size, NBA athleticism, maybe not consistent NBA shot making, but he can make shots. He has it there. It's just about the mentality and the assertiveness when he's out there on the court. It's it's a mental thing. It's a mental roadblock, and that's one that not not just with his play, but with his behavior, just seemed like he couldn't get over it. Yeah, I think if you look at this year specifically, it was just about playing his role within the team. If you look at the Oregon game, that is his role. Get rebounds, be down low. I mean, without Naheem McLeod, he is the tallest guy on the floor most times than not for Syracuse. So you need to get rebounds and and play down to the post. You're not necessarily going to be playing out at the three-point line. So when he was committed to playing his role, I thought he was a solid component um, for Syracuse. And if you look at it now moving forward, now without Benny Williams' size at the forward, Malik Brown's your starting center at 6'8", and then Justin Taylor's you know still your four and now probably is going to get more minutes at 6'6", and without Chance Westry back, Syracuse takes a big hit in the size department and is going to have to figure things out on the fly moving forward. Yeah, I mean, that was already a critical issue at this point because the center depth, once Naheem McLeod, who wasn't playing well, went down, well, you have to move Malik Brown to center because Monir Hima was not going to fill those minutes. Peter Carey was not going to fill those minutes. Now, all of a sudden, Malik Brown's at the five. I mean, what do you do at the four? Justin Taylor has been bad in ACC play. I believe he has 35 points in ACC play, and 10 of them were against Wake Forest. He's, he's been bad in ACC play. Chris Bell way way too small and skinny to really be an ACC forward even Justin Taylor with this play style isn't really even a forward he's more of just like an NBA big body shooting guard I just I understand from like a a personality standpoint and team standpoint and in a chemistry standpoint getting rid of Benny Williams at this point in the season and setting the standard for your program and saying hey you know we're not we're not gonna take this and I don't know, Benny Williams doesn't really, you know, add a ton to this team or take away a ton from this team. But in my mind, it kind of feels like rolling over a little bit in this spot because now there is no forward depth and there <laughs> is no center depth. There is no depth outside of the guard spots, none. And you're going into more of a gauntlet of ACC play. I, it kind of feels like a punt on the season. And it, it's weird to say that because Benny Williams did not add a ton to this team. So I don't know where where the connect is in my brain here that's gone from all of a sudden, oh, Benny Williams doesn't, you know, he doesn't add a whole lot to this team to all of a sudden, okay, they're just punting on this season. I don't know, Jordan. I I I need to figure out what's going on in my own brain because that's what it feels like to me. Well, there is a concept to where maybe he doesn't bring as much, but he just brings sheer size to the floor. I mean, you look at a week from yesterday, they're slated to play North Carolina, who dominated them on the boards, and that was when Benny Williams, who was their tallest player, was also trying to go up and get the rebounds. Now, without him, you're probably going to have to play more three-guard lineups. I mean, you mentioned it. There's no other really four. I mean, Justin Taylor plays the four, but, I mean, he had after his before his 10-point game against Wake Forest, Five of his previous six games, he either had two points or zero points. So he's not really bringing any offense to the floor at that position. Chris Bell, you know, hot and cold. He can't play the four. He's really a three. So you're probably going to have to play three-guard lineups with Quadir, uh, JJ, Judah, and then just honestly do as much as you can to get as many rebounds as you can because this is now probably without Benny Williams – it was probably even with Benny Williams, but now without him is probably one of the smallest teams in the ACC, t ACC, if not the smallest team in the ACC. They need Donnie Freeman. Syracuse <laughs> needs Donnie Freeman immediately. Immediately. I saw a... How tall um, is Donnie Freeman? Donnie Freeman, 6'9", I believe. Okay. I saw a... Um, I, don't, I don't know how much you trust on three or uh, one yeah, or however they say it. I he, he moved into the top ten. In the country, in the top 10 in the nation. That's crazy. That's what Syracuse needs right now. And, you know, I credit to him after the Wake Forest game for sticking through it because, you know, this is it's it's not a great look right now. The the energy around the program doesn't seem great. They they went from a 
uh, a high earlier in the season to it all really changing with the Florida State game. They couldn't really regrasp momentum in the NC State game, and now it's gone down and down and down to the point where now Benny Williams is gone, and we're recording this on Wednesday morning. So we don't know the outcome of the Louisville game. But when you listen to this and you know the outcome of the Louisville game, if they lost that game, <laughs> I mean, I if you're listening to this now, if you're listening to us talk about Syracuse men's basketball after they lost the Louisville game, God bless you. Because there's <laughs> if you if you can still muster up enough energy to care about this team this season after they lose to that team, you're you're a true super fan. And we love that for you. I, I second that uh, alongside Hudson. And you mentioned Donnie Freeman being 10. I mean, Benny Williams was number 41, according to 24-7 sports in his class. So you you never know how prospects are going to turn out. You look at Bryson Goodine, another you know top-rated Syracuse prospect that really never turned out. And again, we 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 were just you know speculating on the Benny Williams thing. We'll learn more about it on Wednesday night. But to talk more about Benny Williams, Syracuse men's basketball, and everything around the hill. We had the pleasure of talking to Brent Axe from Syracuse.com, one of our most loyal guests here on the Ocean Avenue podcast. Take a listen. We have the pleasure of being joined by our most esteemed guest, the number one guest on the Ocean Avenue podcast in terms of total number of appearances, Brent Axe of Syracuse.com. Brent, this is your sixth time now joining the Ocean Avenue podcast. Wow. Let's go. I feel like, uh, what's that on Saturday Night Live, the Five Timers Club? And yeah. I'm climbing even higher than that? That's fantastic. Brent, yeah. you've almost been on as much as I have. How about that? <laughs> you got to catch Brent's up. More Brent's I more know. experienced than Hudson. Yeah, can you get, oh, by far. Can I get something to put on my little shelf here that says, like, we, Six Timers Club? We should get that. Avenue Pod? A little I'll, I'll put it right up here. Just let's, get, let's get him a little plaque, a little certificate. I would love we'll, that. We'll put that on <laughs> Ethan's docket when he gets back from Viva Las Vegas. <laughs> he seems to be enjoying himself out there. And well, you know, how for could your, you not? Yeah. Yeah. I, exactly. I mean, he's getting to interview Adam Shine at, a, at Radio Row. They talked to Field Yates for, like, 40 minutes yesterday about fantasy Which, football. Which, by the way... I've never been to Radio Row. I love that uh, the past few years Syracuse has been sending students there because it is just a treasure trove. And we've talked about this in my class, but it is a treasure trove of some of the best and worst interviews you'll ever hear in your life. And there's no in between. There's no like <laughs> meh interview at Radio Row. You either get like some NFL legend and they're telling stories till the cows come home or you just get some guy that's like making the rounds at like 10 o'clock on a Wednesday on behalf of like Burger King and they're just terrible and you <laughs> have to you have to figure it out right and yeah. I it's it's I I it's my one regret it's my one regret really from no longer being in the radio world and I, I didn't get to experience that but uh maybe yeah. we'll bring the podcast out there sometime that would be that would be that would be awesome Syracuse Sports at Radio Row that Let's would go. be Bring bring the bring the Super Bowl back to MetLife Stadium, then you guys should make the trip down. There you go. <laughs> or when, if the when Bills the, make the Super Bowl, uh, realistically, see, you just you just stole my thunder there. When the Bills make <laughs> when, the Super Bowl. When yes, okay, good. When the Keeping Bills the make faith. the Super Bowl, yes. <laughs> Keeping the faith. <laughs> well, a big topic that could have been great at at Radio Row this week was obviously the Benny Williams news came down yesterday. He has been officially dismissed from the Syracuse basketball program. And Brent, I just want to get your initial reactions when you found out the news yesterday. And you guys, I saw you guys did an emergency podcast with Mike Waters. Kind of what 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 is your initial reaction from Benny Williams being dismissed from the program? I was still surprised that they did it now because, to my knowledge, guys, I could be wrong about this. Somebody might swoop in and say you forgot about this. There was a number of players that were disciplined in the Jim Beheim era, right? either by the head coach or the school itself. I cannot recall Bayheim flat out dismissing a player from the roster during the season, right? So for that to happen with nine games to go, that's still startling. But the reasoning behind it is not. I mean, this has been well-documented with Benny. You go back to last year when he had his mental health day, through everything we've seen this year, both the violation of team rules, the most telling one to me, guys, I guess it's a tie between what we saw in the Wake Forest game just recently, but that Cornell game, when he's sitting on the bench and he's slumped over, we have pictures of it on Syracuse.com, and he looks like he'd be anywhere else than sitting on that bench. He's not in the team huddle. He's disengaged. He's just all over the place. I've heard stories this year of Benny getting up, leaving the bench, and going into the back, and somebody had to go grab him and bring him back out, right? Then the Wake Forest game, bumping Autry, 
technical foul, throws the ball behind him, right? You can't, and see what happened, guys, is Benny loses the benefit of the doubt. This is not just, everyone gets frustrated, right? Bad call, something happens. Ah, you throw the basketball. He does not have the benefit of the doubt there. But then at the end of the game, he leaves the bench, and you can clearly see Coach uh, Griffin trying to bring him back. It's like, this is the stuff we know. So what don't we know? What's happening at practice every day that we don't see? What's happening behind the scenes? And it was telling to see the players responding. And here in 2024, uh, you guys know well, uh, your generation speaks emoji, right? And that's how they react to these things. So I think they can be upset that they're losing their teammate and their friend, but they see it every day and they have to know that Autry had to do this. And I wrote a column after that uh, press conference that Autry had after the Wake Forest game. I said, this is not just about rallying the troops here to play better against Louisville. That felt like to me a you're either with me or you're not moment. That was Autry fully taking command of this team, giving a chance from the players that returned from last year to kind of see his way. This is what it is. They lose again. Now think of all the double digit losses they've had, but the two that really, you know, stand out are North Carolina and Wake Forest. And Red had finally had it. So I think that was him putting his foot down, not just on you got to play hard against Louisville, but this is how it's going to be going forward. You mentioned that we had, you know, seen this throughout the year with Benning Williams. In that Cornell game, I went on the double overtime to talk with it after the game. That, I mean, he the most excited he got all game was watching the hot dog race come across, and he didn't talk to anybody else the entire game. So he, the writing was on the wall, and I talked with that about Jordan a little earlier in the show. It 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 felt like it was going to come, and if you thought Benny Williams was going to be on the team next season, you were crazy. It was just a matter uh, of when. And so, in my opinion, it, Benny Williams doesn't really control how good or not this team is, but because of the depth and the big man depth, in my mind, it almost feels like, at this point, getting rid of Benny Williams feels like punting on the season, even though you know he doesn't control how good or not this team is. What do you feel like a successful season it still looks like after Benny Williams' departure and after that Wake Forest loss? That's a great question, Hudson, because Benny Williams had an important role on this team, but I don't I, I agree with you. I don't think he tilts like how many wins is Benny Williams worth, right? It's zero. How many wins is Judah Mintz worth? Like we can do an over-under on that. You can do an over-under on certain players. Benny doesn't fit that category, but he's so important off the bench, six foot nine, athletic can attack the rim, but he just never quite got there as a full-time player. That's why, obviously, he didn't start this year. So now, you at, with nine games to go, you're Autry. You, you have a, a total lack of size anyway, and now you just lost one of your bigger, more athletic players. So you got to go three guards at times with Judah, JJ, and Kyle Cuff. You're putting in Peter Carey and Monier Hema now, who's uh, you know, struggling through back issues physically, He's limited in the minutes he can play, but you've got to push him a little more to see what he can bring you, right? And the plan was to redshirt William Patterson. I still think that's going to happen, but do you rethink that? Because the numbers dwindled a little bit. You put Malik back at the four. Like, we're going to see the lineup combinations and how they do that with nine games to go. But Hudson, you said it. I'm sorry, you're punting on this season now. They had an uphill climb just to get on the bubble with Benny Williams. Now, without Benny Williams... It is much more important for Autry to establish the way they play. This is how it's going to be under me the rest of the year. And look, I said at the beginning of the season, if we got to middle of February and this team was in the conversation for the NCAA tournament, you had to accept that. The problem is this more than likely now is going to be the third straight year that Syracuse misses the NCAA tournament. That is an eternity in this town. Okay, that has not happened since the late 1960s when Nixon was president. You had to give Red the benefit of the doubt to put his own system into place here, but he's still connected to that. It'd be one thing if this was like a Fran Brown situation for football coming in clean, and you have to be fair about not tying him to the last administration. Red doesn't get that benefit, even though he's trying to establish his own thing, as we're seeing before our very eyes. 
How does looking at next year with, you know, the two recruits coming in, Elijah Moore and, and Donnie Freeman, who I saw your tweets now in the top 10 of the the one three rankings, how does looking, you know, forward to that? I know Syracuse fans want to make the NCAA tournament, and that's kind of the, the goal of every single season. How much does that positive trend in terms of the recruiting with two top 100 guys coming in affect their kind of thoughts right now as the team stands currently? Well, it can't hurt that you have two players of that caliber coming in. And I was talking about this with somebody the other day. So let's say they go to the NIT. And normally the reasoning to go to the NIT is development for next year. Well, what kind of team is this going to be next year? We know Benny's gone. We're in the transfer portal era. Who knows who else could dip their toe into that and want to leave. Some names maybe we're not anticipating that will want to move on. We're all under the assumption one way or the other, Judah Mintz is moving on, right? I think J.J. Starling is going to return, but you just you, every that's the thing. You get to the end of the season and everybody's open for possibility. So what is next year's team with Elijah Moore and with Donnie Freeman? Freeman is going to come in as not only somebody, just look at the rankings. You mentioned it. He slipped into the top 10 in uh, on three's top 10 ranking this week, and I'm sure the others will follow suit at some point. And they need that type of player, Jordan. So the expectation on Donnie is going to be through the roof just by the sheer ranking he brings in and the, the talent that he brings to the table. You know who else is a highly regarded recruit coming in? Benny Williams, right? So the, learn your lesson from that. I like what I see from Elijah Moore, but that's a lot to hand over to a freshman. But guess what? That's college basketball these days. You don't get the benefit of the doubt. That's my main frustration with this team. Because people talk about how young it is. And now I think we're like, it's all sophomores pretty much on this roster, which I, I've never seen that. I'll, I'll tell you a quick story. Jason Stark comes up to Mike Waters and I at one of the, I can't remember which it was. It was Miami game. It was the Claudia Copeland game. And Jason, as you guys know, you, you follow him. He loves quirky stats. And he said, when's the last time that Syracuse basketball went through a season and you don't have a freshman or a senior? in the stats. And I was like, holy crap, that is incredible that that is going to be a thing for Syracuse. And Mike did look it up and he put it in his most recent mailbox. So quick aside there. So what Moore and Freeman bring to the table is a good question because, well, what's the rest of the team look like? Who are the two or three transfers we don't know are on this team that they need to go get and what the makeup of this thing is going to be? It's really kind of difficult to tell what position they're going to I mean, fully tar outside of center, because obviously center is going to have to be a need. Looking around in terms of transfers and coming back, you don't get a whole lot that come back to Syracuse. And now I, I believe the last one was uh, Eastern Michigan transfer and in the early 2010s. And, you know, who, who cares? But now pivoting to Joe Girard, coming mm -hmm. back to the Dome, big game on Saturday against Clemson at noon, who's coming off a win at UNC. There's a lot of emotions in, in how people feel about Joe Girard. I, I think a lot of the student body has more of a, a, a negative take on Joe Girard, whereas, you know, some people in the city may not have as negative of an opinion. Do you think Joe Girard will be booed when he returns to the JMA Wireless Dome? And if so, at what level? So that's it. The answer is yes. There will be some dopes out there that will boo this kid. Now, Look, once the ball goes up, he plays for Clemson. Boo him all you want, right? He's on the other team. You're supposed to. But there's a respect that I think has to be put there beforehand for the blood, sweat, and tears that he put in. And a lot of things that were put on Joe Girard's shoulders that, to me, were not his fault. Now, we can go through the layers here. The same fans that were bitching and moaning wherever they were bitching and moaning, mostly on social media these days about Joe Girard would be the same fans complaining. If Girard had picked Notre Dame or Duke or Penn state over Syracuse, Joe Girard was one of the most hyped New York state recruits that I've seen in my life. And all I heard then was Jim Beheim's got to get Joe Girard. He's right down the road in Glens Falls. And they got Joe Girard. And Gerard comes in. He was often out of position. He was asked to do things he shouldn't have done. Look, I wrote this, and Beheim and I went toe-to-toe -to -toe on this. And I'm sorry, I was right about this. Kadari Richmond should have played over Joe Gerard. Beheim screwed that up. 
He just flat out screwed that up. That's not Joe's fault. That's just better player. Look at Kanari Richie. He could be the biggest player of the year, right? Joe fell into that trap, okay? The biggest fault you could say about Joe Girard here, guys, and I, if you disagree, that's fine, is he wasn't the best defensive player. But is that why you recruited Joe Girard <laughs> to play defense? In a defense he shouldn't be in, by the way? So I don't get it. If you're going to boo Joe Girard, you're just a troll. Flat, <laughs> plain, simple. You have no reason to, and you have no appreciation for what he brought to the table. Oh, and by the way, he's shooting 43% from three-point range. He just dropped 21 points on North Carolina, and he's killing it. So you want to yeah. boo him if he's dropping eight three-pointers on Syracuse? <laughs> Go right ahead, because that's the opponent. But to think that this kid, who did nothing but play his ass off, love Syracuse, love Jim Beheim, chose Syracuse over all those other offers, is some sort of pariah because he had the gall to transfer somewhere, which happens all the time now in college sports. Like, I don't understand that. Yeah, I mean, looking at the offensive side, he, people forget that he led the team in scoring last year, um, even with Judah Mintz um, in his freshman year. And I agree with you on the defensive side. It, it, the defense just wasn't suited for him like he wasn't a long guy in the zone and it kind of you know limited his ability to play defense probably would have been better at a little bit better at man-to-man -man. and he's a shooter he shot 38 percent um for Syracuse last year which the team could desperately need right now uh on yeah this, where, on where, this where, where are all these people that said Joe should have gone to Siena or, or, or something <laughs> like that he's one I, of the best players in the ACC this year like you just stop you mentioned his lack of athleticism I I don't think there are basketball players at that level with that little athleticism that often that little size and athleticism with that much impact I think we also have to credit what Joe Girard does with what he has because he doesn't have a lot except his ability to shoot and he uses that to become you know one of the better players in the country and one of the not just better but best shooters in the country so I, I they, do have to they credit could him. use him they could use him well, on this team percent now, what does that do with JJ? Like, you know, we can we can argue that to the cows come home and is JJ on this team? If Joe's still on this team, it's revisionist history. But look at this team and the glaring lack of game in, game out, three point shooting. You're telling me you wouldn't want this kid around for another year if if you feel that way? I, I just don't know what to tell you. It all depends on that system. It all depends on how many threes he's taking to and what part of the system is. But I agree. He, I mean, him being part of this team changes the entire dynamic at least having one consistent shooter and again else... i have to i have to reiterate something here like people the complaints that people would have is like oh he's friends with buddy and all these it's like 95 percent of what you're saying is not his fault your beef is with jim Beheim or somebody else not with the joe gerard who's just going out there and doing his job and look i'm biased in a way guys because joe's a great kid I got to know Joe a little bit. I went, Mike Waters and I went to Glens Falls and did a story with him when he was going through his recruiting process. And I spent the day with him and I saw what he means to that town and who he interacted with. And I interviewed Joe uh, on when I had my radio show weekly and got to know him a little bit, you know, off the air, if you a little bit. So I, I will fully admit my bias here, but put that aside. If I didn't know Joe Girard, you know, from Joe Cool. I would look, assess the situation and look at it fairly and be like, what exactly is your complaint here? So one one quick last two-parter question on the Joe Girard re return revenge, however you want to you know, chop it up to be. One, <laughs> did you ever have the Joe Girard at Duncan in the local area? And then two, your favorite memory from Joe <laughs> Girard. Uh, Hudson and I were talking about one of the memories from last year when he accidentally saved it straight into Pete Nance in the North Carolina game. It was an un unfortunate one. <laughs> but if there's any like happy memories that you have of Joe Girard. <laughs> uh, one, I unfortunately never had the the Girard. What was the Girard special at Duncan? It was, was it? I don't remember what drink it was. I just remember there was a Joe Girard oh, drink a hot at chocolate. Duncan. He's a hot I chocolate. think it was a hot chocolate. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm pretty sure it was a hot chocolate. Uh, I have had the Dunkin' Hot Chocolate, so if that's his <laughs> deal, then yeah, I guess I have participated in the in the Joe Girard special. So uh, there, I'll have to go down to my local Dunkin' Donuts. You guys still got that special? And uh, I can see if I can get it. In terms of uh, memories, that's an interesting question because I remember when Joe left, and I wrote a column about this, and I was going through it, and I think maybe this affected how people feel about Gerard. Gerard. He never had that moment. He never had, like Jerry McNamara had five 
you know, just pop off the page, you know, the six three-pointers in the championship game, the 2006 Beast Tournament, beat Notre Dame, beat Georgetown on buzzer beaters, just had this treasure trove of memories that just lock in your head. Did Gerard have any of those? Did he have any buzzer beaters? Did he have any game winners? He was on a team, of course, that one didn't make the tournament, but was in a tournament, but that was Buddy's tournament. Buddy, you carried that team to the Sweet 16. So I don't have a basketball memory in particular. They just all kind of blend together. But it's just that image of Gerard on the wing, catch, shoot, three, and just like that vision of what you have. When I watched Gerard when he was in Glens Falls, scoring 5,000 points plus in high school, and I'm just like envisioning like he's the next one that can step in and do what Jerry did, what Andy Routens did, what Trevor Cooney did, just go through the line of those three-point shooters that Syracuse has had, and there he was doing it. It, it can be kind of tough to talk about a, a losing team for so long. There's there's only so many times you can talk about a team that continually misses NCAA tournaments. This women's team, though, Brent, likely, I, I mean, at this point, it, it would be tough for them to miss the tournament with, you know, how well they played earlier in the season. They've kind of hit a little bit of a snag in, in the last two weeks. And, mm-hmm. you know, a big win over Boston College to just get back on track. They needed DeAsia Fair to score 38 points in that game. And Felicia said it after the game. We needed DeAsia to score mm-hmm. those 38 points for us to win that game. What do you think this team's ceiling now becomes with some of these, you know, recent struggles against good teams, albeit Virginia Tech and Louisville? But Syracuse now has kind of fallen down a peg. Where do you see the ceiling being come NCAA tournament? Felicia's in an interesting spot because they did to DeAsia to score 38 points in that game. And the rest of the team scored 37 combined, right? When you have a star like that, you you have to be so cognizant of, are they hot? Are they not? Are they in it? You don't want them just bombing away if they're not in it. And DeAsia's rarely not in it. She is locked in and one of the best players in the country. I mean, Caitlin Clark scored 38 points that day as well. Syracuse's issue, of course, is size. So when they're going to run into teams that have, I mean, they rebound their butt off and they overcome it by how they play, right? That team, the men's team should take a lesson. At, at the very least, every single game, Felicia's teams, they're exhausted at the end of the game. That's never an issue with this team. So the issue is you're going to run into a team with size. Are you counting too much on DeAsia? You have just some other great elements on this team that have stepped in. She has the support now. Their mission now is get in the top four, get a home game, get the home game for the NCAA tournament. Charlie Cream's latest bracketology has him as a six going to Manhattan. That's Kansas, by the way, not New York City, to take on Kansas, uh, Texas A&M, then it would be Kansas State if they won, right? Is there time for Syracuse to slide into a top four seed? I think there is. I think they can absolutely convince the bracketologist to slide them up there. It's what you said, though. They've just hit these bumps in the road as of late that have knocked them back. From this still a great team. It's still going to be a tournament team. It's incredible how Felicia has first she had to fix the culture and did that in a snap, which was incredible. Now you fix the basketball and you ride this mega superstar comet of a player that DeAsia Fair is as, as far as as you can go, but. You want to start, not that Georgia Woolley doesn't score, not that Elena Rice doesn't do her thing, and not that Hyman does, everybody contributes. But I think going forward, who's the Rob, who's truly the Robin to the Batman role that DeAsia Fair plays? It's funny you mentioned that because I was on the call of the St. Rose uh, exhibition and their coach actually called George at the beginning of the year. George Woolley is uh, DeAsia Fair's Robin to her Batman. There you go. Um, and luckily, we heard earlier this morning from from media ops that uh, Ease of Arajau is back as of Thursday. Will be available, so that's a that's a big get back. Um, a little boost in front the court the for sure. For sure. Um, you mentioned Felicia Leggett, Jack, just in her second year having this team rolling in the top of the ACC. How impressive is it for FLJ for what she's done in the last not even full two years in the last year and a half with this program? It's striking what she has done in in such a quick period of time. 
Coach Q had success here. There's uh, just look at the the results, the Final Four in 2016, the players that he developed that went to the WNBA, uh, Tiana Magakaihia, and and what she. There's no question that what he did on the court turned around Syracuse women's basketball. Which guys, I can't tell you. You've seen the numbers. You've probably seen the media guides for a long time. Syracuse women's basketball just struggled, and year after year after year, just several sub 500 teams they just could not get it together until coach q came in now they had their moments don't get me wrong but it was just a consistently bad program that finally got turned around but of course we learned the coach q story and the culture issues that were happening there and what he got caught up in that's a major thing so for flj to come in and just clean that up set the standard sometimes that doesn't always work right when you have a coach that has that enthusiasm and that passion and you have to keep that up and you have to make that contagious. You have to make that something that spreads through the team, find the right people. Now let's, let's be honest here. The transfer portal really helped that process and would help any coach in her position. She brings in Deja from Buffalo and the players that have come in. So that helped, but you still have to develop chemistry. You still have to get them to buy in, play on the court and do what you do. And she has done an amazing job with that. And it all harkens back on, she just, you guys have talked to Coach Jack. She's just, I love all these expressions she comes back to. And these are her philosophies and it translates through. I think hiring Sue Ludwig was just an incredible move. I've, I've seen Sue coach here in Syracuse for years. She's a great person, a great coach. And this kind of harkens to something that John Wildhack has done, guys, which at first I was a little skeptical of but i get why he had to do it gary gate skin in the game syracuse kayla trainer skin in the game syracuse obviously sticks with autry instead of going outside but the most important program of any of those that needed someone with skin in the game knows syracuse loves syracuse gets what it means to be syracuse was felicia leggett jack like she was the hire. I campaigned for her to coach this team for over a year and also for Syracuse to retire her number and be the first female athlete to have her number retired. And, and to Syracuse's credit, they did both of those things. I don't care what other coaches were out there that had some kind of basketball acumen or some assist assistant out there that was ready to take it. She had to coach this team and the stars aligned for her to do it. And now we're seeing the full result of it. It's an awesome story because she also went to Nottingham High School, which is right down the road from Syracuse. And you mentioned DeAsia Fair earlier. We said, you know, 38 points on Sunday. Caitlin Clark also scored 38. She's one, if of if not a top three player in the NCAA, especially at the guard position. I think that's without a doubt. And we talked about earlier the Buddy Bayheim run um, in the tournament. Are we kind of gearing up where potentially DeAsia Fair could lead this team going, you know, for 30 plus points a game in the NCAA tournament? I'm not going to say no to that, especially if you get the bracket gives you some random, like the Texas A&M, they're not going to know, right? Let's say that that holds Charlie Cream's bracketology is right. You get like a Texas A&M. They're not going to know. They'll watch the film and be like, the most amazing thing about Deisha, she's 5'5", five, five, and she does all this. I was talking to Kelly Graham like the other day from the ACC Network, and that's the thing Kelly kept coming back to. She's 5'5". Five and can just do that step back, Jay, and we'll take on all comers, right? So you're Texas A&M, you're going to watch that film, you're going to 5-5, we'll double team her, we'll do this or that. You can't stop her. You just can't. And if somebody truly says, you're not going to beat us today, it's what we talked about earlier. Someone has to step up there. But to key to that, I think if this team is going to make a run, they got to get the home game. Because I think this is a fair weather town, guys. Okay, they're the men's team by then, who knows where we're at with them. And we're in this spot where Syracuse fans are so hungry for any kind of March madness. People will get behind this program. They will get a good crowd there. Won't be like 25,000. Don't get me wrong, but people will buy in and they will support this team. And it could lift them right into the sweet 16, which by the way, if things hold is in Albany. So you hope they make a run because it reminds me of the 2003 men's basketball team. They went through Boston and Albany to get through uh, to the final four that year. So this, this could really line up for this team if they play their cards, right? Home court advantage after home court advantage would be 
I mean, top Huge. notch for this team. I, it, would, it would be massive. And they, you're right. There still is time for them to slide into that spot. There's a lot of time also for men's lacrosse to make it to Memorial Day weekend. So, it, you know, with this men's lacrosse team, we've only seen them for two games at, at this point. But in those two games, the offense has looked undeniable. It has. And you could argue, you know, Colgate played, you know, a, a weird way on defense and Vermont lost some def- key defensive pieces, but it doesn't matter. This offense is firing in all cylinders and Joey Spillane had 16 points through two games. What have you seen from this team so far in comparison to last year in, in ways that they've improved? I've seen the ball moving more. I've seen a free-flowing offense, and it, it it's important to note that. This team had offensive players last year, but the ball didn't move because they just didn't have enough at the midfield. Jake Stevens, Sam English come in, open things up on the midfield. Michael Leo, a year older and wiser. You know, a couple of, Jackson Burt whistles hurt right now. I think he'll be back for the Manhattan game. But once he gets back into the flow, there's somebody who moves the ball and just a flat out score. He had 27 goals and no assists last year. You know what Birdie's out there to do. Mason Cohn has obviously made a huge difference at the face-off X. You look at the relationship between Joey Spillina and Christian Moulet, right? It was huge what they talked about after their opening win, about they had played together in uh, it's Team 91. It was a club program on Long Island. There's a little bit of an age gap between Joey and Christian, but they still played on a lot of the same teams. And Joey got elevated a little bit in his age group because he's, you know, a phenomenon. Joe Spillina c- coached them. So not only that, Stevens and English come in and they know Owen Hiltz and they know a Finn Thompson from that, that kind of Canadian lacrosse community, right? Joey Spillina goes up to Canada for the summer and plays box lacrosse, which guys, Canadian box lacrosse, you cannot be soft and play in that league. Like you will get your butt. They don't care who you are. Okay. You're going to go through the ringer up there. Joey spends the summer with Trey Deer, who's going to work his way in as a freshman at attack, right? Here's my big question. Will Mark's going to have to save the day at some point. He hasn't had to yet, but he's going to have to, and he's going to have to save the day against Maryland, okay? That's what I'm looking towards. I think Syracuse will handle its business against Manhattan and the, the John or, or, or Donia uh, reunion special coming up at the Dome on Friday. Let's see Maryland. Let's see a run with that team. Let's see Will Mark make some saves. Let's see that defense go one-on-one with with that attack and that team. And then I'm really going to get a sense of it. That being said, Gary Gate reloaded everywhere he had to. He's got more guns on the offensive side, and they're just going to have to win games like that. There's just going to be some games. It's going to be like, okay, giddy up. 18, 16, back and forth shootout type of games. Did you see that Denver Hopkins game the other day? They're going to have to win probably two or three games like that. Just Mm -hmm. at the end, who's got the ball last, you know, giddy up kind of thing. Mm -hmm. You mentioned the reload that Gary Gate has had, and you bring in Christian Muley from Lehigh, and you mentioned that both him and Spelina played on Team 91 difference in age, but, you know, Spelina getting promoted and them playing together. There was a lot of conversation before the season started about, you know, maybe Muley would play a little bit more at X and have Spelina roam a little bit more. But we've seen Spelina at X, especially in that Colgate mm-hmm. game, pretty much the entire time. Do you see kind of maybe later in the season having Spelina roam a little bit more and having Muley at X? How do you feel like those two really mesh together? I think you go with what works right now, and Spelina can do it. But I don't see how you don't incorporate that to allow Spelina to be free because what's going to happen is good teams are going to see trends on film. They did it last year. If you look, uh, Joey still put up points. If you watch how teams defended Spelina at the end of last year, they knew it was coming, and they knew he didn't have the weapons to take some pressure off. Now he does. The thing I'm a minor concern, three out of ten concern here, Mule can't go to both hands. So if you're going to operate behind the cage, you got to be able to effectively go to both hands. And I don't think he's quite there yet, but they didn't have anybody else that could do it last year. Now that Finn Thompson's not that guy, he's a different type of player. He's a versatile player. He can go up the midfield if you need him to. Frankly, I, I wouldn't be stunned if they put Spillina in midfield <laughs> just to, just to mess with teams. Cause he could do it right. You know, if Trey Deers 
knocking on the door and you want to put an attack out there, a uh, Finn Thompson, Christian Moulet, and Trey Deer, and put Joey up in midfield and, and watch the other team like, what the hell's going on out there? That's the kind of weapons they have. But I fully anticipate at some point you're gonna you're gonna see Mulet kind of quarterback this thing a little bit more. But you know, you gotta let Joey be Joey, right? Kind of like what we were saying about the Asia Fair. Like you just you just gotta let him roll when he's rolling. Yeah, Joey, 16 points in the first two games last year, only six points in the first two games. The difference between freshman year and sophomore year. It's funny you mentioned moving Joey to midfield. I can only imagine what John Donowski and Lars Tiffany's reactions would be if Joey just magically comes out on the first line midfield at the beginning of the game. <laughs> they, they, they would definitely be extremely probably shook. Um, I'd love so, to see it. Uh, obviously, you know, men's basketball is not necessarily on top of the world. One last question here for you. What are you looking forward to most over the next kind of couple months? Women's basketball, potential NCAA tournament, men's lacrosse could be getting back to the NCAA tournament, could not. We also, we didn't talk about that today, but women's lacrosse has their opener this weekend against number one Northwestern. So what are you most excited for, you know, in the 315 in the next month or two? I, I can't lie to you guys. Those are all great candidates. I'm excited about spring football. I want to see what Fran Brown brings to the table. I want, to see what, I want to see what kind of access we get <laughs> as media. Holy crap. We can talk assistant to the assistant coaches. coaches. Let's go. <laughs> but what the reason I answer that question that way, guys, is shameless plug. We, we've got this new thing we're doing at Syracuse.com. It's, uh, it's called the Syracuse Sports Insiders. And uh, in a nutshell, you can text me and I text you. It's a, it's a direct text message. Text messaging program and the connection that I have made with these fans and the beauty of it is they tell me what they want and they certainly want to hear about all those things you mentioned and basketball this is a basketball town it's always going to be a thing but they cannot get enough football and that's to Fran Brown's credit because he's been feeding them like real stuff transfers recruits there was a string there every day. I was like, Fran, can you calm down? <laughs> All these players, I need a day off. But I love that this football fan base is engaged. They're into it because of all the other sports. I, I love lacrosse. I played the sport. It's in my heart. And basketball is what it is. It's just, you know, it's the machine in this town and the general interest there and the things that we cover. We're so lucky to, to cover a lot of these things, almost like you would in a pro sports town. But the feeling when the football team is on top, there's nothing like it. They're just, it's just, there's just nothing like it. And the fact that I have people salivating on February 7th for football. And when spring football comes, and by the way, so you're going to go through spring football and then they're going to combine the spring football game with the last lacrosse game of the year against Virginia when Paul Gates, number 19, goes up finally. It should have been up years ago. It should have been up with Gary last year, but, you know, beggars can't be choosers here. Think of that day, April 20th. What could be on the line there for the lacrosse team? Celebrating Paul Gate and what I think is going to be the biggest attendance we've ever seen for a spring football game, which is not even a football game, but I don't think people care. They just want to be a part of it. So I'm looking forward to spring football, seeing the new guys on the field, how Fran Brown does this, hearing from the assistant coaches, all culminating with that April 20th day, which will be a lot of fun. I'm excited for the football season too. I mean, Ethan's in, in Las Vegas right now. Hopefully, I know you're probably going to go. I, hopefully I get the chance to go to Las Vegas for the UNLV game next oh, year. I'm going. We're going to that, we're gonna have to happening. brag to him at that point. My boss doesn't know yet, but I am going to Las Vegas. <laughs> like that's, that's happening. I've never that's been. I've never no, been to, I've never been, been to Las Vegas, Vegas either. No, no, I, I haven't either. There's nothing for me to do in Las Vegas. <laughs> <laughs> I'm excited for everything that could come in Las Vegas next year. And the football season is just going to be a wild ride in Fran Brown's first year. Brent, just where can everyone see all of your content? You mentioned the Syracuse sports insiders and Syracuse sports a little bit right there. I appreciate the uh, shameless plug opportunity here. So Syracuse.com of course is where you can read. You can follow on uh, the the X at Brent X Media, but the, the Syracuse Sports Insiders program has been incredible, guys. If you want to sign up, you can text me directly. I'll text you direct. Don't text me at like two in the morning. Not that it matters. <laughs> Thankfully, it doesn't come to my phone. It, it's like a software that I use. But anytime you have questions, comments, opinions, just want to shoot the breeze, talk SU sports, what you do is you text the word orange to 315-847-3895. The cool thing is you can try it free for two weeks. 
after that, just $3.99 a month. And like we said, when I broke the uh, Fran Brown had signed a contract story, our insiders got it first. When I broke the Kyle McCord story that he was transferring to Syracuse, our insiders got it first. They get everything first. All my opinions, any breaking news that I have, they get it first. And we go from there. It's It's been a lot of fun. And I hope you guys can come along for the ride. They get it before he comes on the Ocean Maverick podcast. Joining the Sixes Club today, Brent. Thank you again for taking the time. Thank you for having me, guys. Look forward to my trophy that I'm going to put up here and look forward to appearance uh, number seven soon down the road here. We thank Brent, of course, as always, for taking the time. Brent, one of the most loyal guests here on the Ocean Avenue podcast, just brings so much knowledge about the Syracuse sports. He's just the king of Syracuse at this point. And we were talking about earlier in the interview, the Joe Girard return, revenge, however you want to, you know, shake it out to be um, game this weekend. He did actually, Hudson, I went back and checked. He did lead the team in scoring last year. I thought it was Judah Mintz. It actually was him. But, I mean, my mm. memories of Joe Girard, I was here for two years when Joe Girard was here, at school at least, is just chucking up threes and just, like, random ones going in. Like, he'd uh, take, like, you know, threes from five feet beyond the arc. They'd miss badly. He'd be like, what are you doing? And then the next time down the floor, he just magically makes it. It was like a it was a back and forth, like, what are you doing? Oh, you're so good kind of battle as a, as a you know, media member slash fan for the last two years under with Joe Girard here. Yeah, you know, for me, it's it's a little bit different because even with I, I only had one year of overlap <laughs> with Joe Girard. And the only thing I remember from Joe Girard is just the back half of that statement being like, oh, well, what are you doing? You're just chucking up threes <laughs> that make no sense. My entire year of watching Syracuse basketball that year was just Joe Girard just chucking up threes and another one and another one. And they're missing and he's having bad decisions. And then in the UNC game, he that I will remember when Syracuse had a chance to beat UNC and in a shot miss. Joe Girard went to save it for who knows what reason. <laughs> I don't even think it went off of Syracuse. Who knows what reason went right into the hands of, I believe, Pete Nance. He hit it right to Pete Nance. Oh yes, finish. I do. Two hand that. finish, game <laughs> over. He had the he had the assist of the game for UNC. <sighs> My, I think everyone you, was killing him after that. Picture, everyone was, and I think if you give a bigger picture to Joe Girard's career at Syracuse, it's a lot more positive. But that final year, the year that I was here and actually got to feel the campus energy, because you know I'd seen I'd seen a lot before coming here, but I had never gotten to feel the energy of Syracuse basketball on campus and everything like that, and the energy surrounding Joe Girard was so overwhelmingly negative that I never really got a good perception of him. That's fair. I mean, I just came to my head when you were when you were talking about that is he did actually at the Duncan inside the Shine Student Center had a drink called the Gerard. He did. Um, and he had, those Duncan, he had yeah, those Duncan ads. He had those Duncan, Duncan ads. ads. Do you remember those? He had the, I, I don't um, remember the ads specifically, but I remember there was a drink named after him. I, I quote I quote a Joe Gerard ad that he had a lot. It was a Duncan ad. Um, that he had on Instagram and he went to Duncan and he was like, I'm picking up donuts for the boys. And he showed the <laughs> a case of donuts. And then he went into the practice facility and he would, he would go up to the players and be like, take a donut. And then he would voice it over with their review. I remember the first one. He was like, Samir came up first. He got a strawberry frosted with sprinkles. Said it was a 10 out of 10. Both guys are not here <laughs> anymore, by the way. But that was really fun. I think it was like Peter Carey got one next. And, oh, it, it, you know, it was it was a pretty it was a pretty funny, pretty funny commercial. I'm sure it wasn't meant to be funny, but it ended yeah. up being funny, in my opinion. And honestly, that is one of my like that is one of my most remembered Joe Girard moments is just that. ad. <laughs> That's awesome. I mean, Joe Girard, the mystique coming from New York. Now, now at Clemson, obviously, they just actually beat UNC last night. They're coming to the Dome. They did. Um, off of a big win against North Carolina. The biggest thing that my question mark is, is will fans boo? Will fans not? I think the townies will boo. Uh, sorry, the townies won't boo. The people from Syracuse and the students might. Um, yeah. But it'll be a very interesting environment on Saturday at noon for the Joe Girard return slash revenge game on W8ER. Uh, McClurg remodeling countdown to tip off starts at 1130 for all those wondering. And now we got to pivot to another team that actually had two games this week. Syracuse men's lacrosse getting out to a hot start 2-0, a 20-7 win over Vermont in the opener, and then an 18-10 win against Colgate on Monday. A quick start, and really the offense is humming on all cylinders, Hudson. 
I mean, it really is. If you watch the first, I don't know, eight minutes of that Colgate game, that offensive play is ridiculous. The first about six goals where they just could not be stopped. I mean, everybody on the offense is contributing in one way or another. And this is without Jackson Burt whistle so far. It was, a, you know, pretty decent part of that offense last year. So, I mean, so far, and people were talking about Spillina for Torton before the season had started. And it's, you know, a little bit tough to tell when he had a pretty solid season last year, but you don't know what kind of jump he's going to make. 16 points through the first two games. I believe it's nine goals, seven assists. I mean, that's ridiculous. That is ridiculous from Joey Spillina. And he, he's only going to continue to get better against a, a Manhattan team that's going to be arguably, we don't know Manhattan yet because we haven't, you know, they haven't played, they haven't a, game played a game yet this yeah. season. Exactly. But, you know, that based off of past seasons, probably a little bit lesser competition than definitely than Vermont. And Colgate's a, a solid team this year. So Syracuse should, could show off even bigger offense uh, against Manhattan on Friday. I mean, this team, I this is way too early to say like Memorial <laughs> Weekend expectations, but it really is starting to get there. It, it, like, yeah. it really is only through two games. I mean, you mentioned Colgate. They had got the top five win against Penn State in their opener. Manhattan's known for their defense, but John O'Dearna, their head coach, is now Syracuse's defensive coordinator. So a little bit of a revenge game there for for John O'Dearna on Friday. You mentioned Memorial Day weekend. If you look at it last year, Syracuse had the number three offensive efficiency in the country, and their defense was solid. But the problem was the faceoff X. They they never won faceoffs. The defense was you know on the field press trying to defend everyone for forty five plus minutes. Will Mark did all that he could. Now that Syracuse has a you know we'll see how it goes in ACC play, but uh, Mason Cohn is in the seventy percent in terms of faceoff wins in the first two games. If they can win, you know fifty to you know, let's say 55, any, anywhere between 45 and 55%, this team is balanced enough and has talent all over the board. Where I don't think it's, you know, crazy to say that Memorial Day weekend would be an on-the-horizon thing. I think they need to make the NCAA tournament first, given that they haven't, you know, made it under Gary Gate, and that's a hurdle they have to cross. And we'll see how they respond, because last year, a lot of times, they didn't finish out games like uh, Notre Dame, where they had a lead in the fourth quarter, or Duke, Ooh. where they lost in overtime. Uh, but if now that now with more experience with the number one transfer class with the uh, the freshman class that was the number one in the country now sophomores I think that experience actually probably will translate in ACC play. No, I, I agree with you, and like you said, we focused on the offense, but it is a whole new defense under Odierna, and, and it's looked really good early on. Billy Dwan has looked great so far. Sam Alexo has looked fantastic yet again, and then even Figueres stepping up is looking great. I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of pieces in place now. And that was the concern moving from last year to this year is can this team gel? Can the pieces be put in place? Will there be not just enough talent in the starters, but enough talent in depth? Will the coaching be good enough? And a lot of those questions are obviously still yet to be answered because it's only two games into the season. But at this point, I I think we can go out on a limb and say, at least it's better. Like this, this team is better. I mean, even if you compare the, it was a completely different Vermont team this year than yeah. it was last year in the season opener, but you beat Vermont last year, seven to five this year, you beat them 20 to seven. Like, you know, I don't care how different Vermont is. That's still the core of the same team and you beat them handedly. So I see the turnaround starting to come. It just, it depends on how, you know, injuries shake out going throughout the year obviously and you know if ACC play doesn't dominate Syracuse too much but you know there's a good chance for for Memorial Day weekend certainly better than the last couple of years this is certainly Gary Gates most talented squad from top to bottom if you look at it you know go from attack to midfield to short stick defensive midfield or long stick you mentioned Riley Figueres is back one of the best defenders in his freshman class got hurt at the beginning of last year and we'll see if Syracuse can keep the momentum going against Manhattan and then you get into a bunch of ranked matchups against Maryland Utah Army you get a break against High Point Hopkins Delaware all ranked and then ACC play comes around and you know Notre Dame, Virginia, and Duke not in that same order, and one, two, and three in the entire country. So it's going to be uh, a survival of the fittest, like it always kind of is during lacrosse season 
for Syracuse to make the NCAA tournament. Men's lacrosse is back in action against Manhattan in the John O'Dearna revenge game, we'll call it, on Friday, February 9th at 4 p.m. We have McClure remodeling countdown to faceoff at 3.30, and the double overtime goes up until 7. Actually, then following an hour later, we have sports night from 8 to 9 p.m. on W8ER, breaking down lacrosse, basketball, Benny Williams, the women's basketball team who has a game on Thursday against Georgia Tech. They got back on track on Sunday against Boston College after losing two games for the first time this season. We're going to have all that coverage on Friday. And then Sunday, the Joe Girard return game. We'll see how the crowd responds to JG3. Uh, Tip-off is at noon on Saturday on W8ER with 11.30 a.m. McClurg remodeling countdown to tip-off and the double overtime with myself and Tyler Aiken all the way up until 4. Austin Barrick is actually going to be on the show as well. It's just going to be an absolute crew. Hudson, you're producing that, right? Uh, I am producing that one. Yes, it's going to be right. an absolute that, that crew. That is a crew. That is a heck of a crew. So, I mean, absolute crew. We thank once again our, our listeners at Empire Hearing and Audiology. Thank you for making all of this happen. If you want to see the video episode of our Brent Axe interview, go to Ostrom Avenue Podcast on YouTube, or you can check us out on Twitter at Ostrom Avenue Pod. We miss Ethan. We'll hopefully see him in the next week or two after he gets back from Viva Las Vegas. But for Hudson and myself, have a nice week, everyone.